Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Dad, it's going to be a long time before we're actually beyond this. No matter how many times I say we have to turn the page, everybody should. But don't look now, except that Packers Twitter is ablaze once again this morning. Seriously, if you're trying to avoid the drama, avoid Packer Twitter. Because once again, they are all over Aaron Rodgers. Yes, somehow we are still doing this. And no, this time, everybody is not freaking out about that tiny, minor, little ding that Aaron picked up at a voluntary Jets practice. Or the fact that he even showed up to a voluntary Jets practice at all. Scandalous as that might be to Packer fan, I know. But no, we're not talking about that. Nor are we talking about the fact that he went viral this morning because he got caught over the weekend getting down at the Taylor Swift show at MetLife. Something else that's not new. Something he and I talked about years and years ago. I mean, excuse me, the two Taylor Swift shows in MetLife. Not the there's one show, but the two shows. The Taylor two-night stand. Yes, Aaron has been outed as a full-fledged Swifty. Except that happened years ago. And he didn't just make his public MetLife Stadium debut for Taylor Swift. He also did this while Confetti was falling during one of the shows. Jets won the Super Bowl. Listen to Aaron. He is still just soaking up the NYC, still living his best life. That was low-key, the single biggest banger of the weekend at MetLife, by the way. At least if you ask a Jets fan, because that is exactly the song the Jet fan wants to hear right about now. The Jets won the Super Bowl. No, but that's not why... Packer Twitter is ablaze yet again. The actual reason Aaron is back in the headlines is because he gave a bunch of really interesting quotes to The Athletic about his view of what went down this offseason. Or to Packer fan, infuriating quotes. So now Packer fan is fully triggered all over again. So what do you say we do this one last time? What do you say we have one last discussion, one last conversation about the breakup? And then, Green Bay, Wisco, we all have to move on. You all have to move on. Everybody has to move on. Packer fan, I'm with you. You know I'm part of the fam. I'm doing this for you. I'm over it. I think everybody else is pretty much over it. But if my fellow Wisconsinites have made anything clear over the past few weeks and the past few hours, it's that they're definitely not over it. So can we try to put this thing to rest once and for all? Can we do it this morning? Because now we have Aaron's full side of the story. Remember, we already had the Packers side of the story from Brian Gutenkunst. Goody story was that he could not get in touch with Aaron, could not get an answer from Aaron, so he had no choice but to start exploring trade options. You know, as we got out of the offseason, or after the season, and we, we had a good conversation, um, and then you know, we'll 
we're going to have some follow-up conversations. And our inability to reach him or for him to respond in any way, I think at that point, then we just kind of had to, we had to, I had to do my job and kind of reach out and understanding that a trade could be possible uh, and see who was interested, but that shopping was never really part of that. So that was Goody back in March saying we couldn't really find him, so I had to do my job. Now at that time, that was pretty tough to believe. Pretty tough to believe that the biggest decision the team is ever going to make about their best player ever came down to a game of phone tag gone wrong. But that's just me. That was Goody's take. That's my reaction. This morning we get Aaron's side. Aaron to the athletic. And I want to say this. Don't say to me, hey, Rome, Aaron is the one who's keeping this going. The athletic reached out to him. The Athletic wanted to talk to him. The Athletic wanted his side of the story. And he responded. So, his reaction was, quote, Did Brian text me more than I texted him? Yeah. But did I ghost him? No. I texted him back. There was back and forths that we had. And so this is the story you want to go with? You're going to stand on this hill of austerity and say that arguably in the conversation of the best player in your franchise history, you're going to say, I couldn't get a hold of him and that's why we had to move on? Like, come on, man. Come on. Just tell the truth. You wanted to move on. You didn't like the fact that we didn't communicate all the time. Like, listen, I talk to the people that I like. End of quote. Damn. That says all of it right there. And I mean everything. Including just plainly stating in black and white that he does not like Goody. Guess what? You know, you know what's about the least surprising thing ever? That. Nothing could be further from news than bad blood that exists between Goody and and Aaron, especially since we all know exactly where that bad blood originates from. The exact date, the exact time, the exact place, a.k.a. the date, the time, and the place that the organization traded up to draft another first-round QB. And then we got some fresh details today about that night from Aaron's perspective. Rogers said, quote, that's when I went and poured myself a little glass of Anejo and waited for somebody to call me. End of quote. That's really interesting. I mean, I thought he would have poured a little glass of scotch. I'm glad it was the Anejo. I wonder if it was my 42. Anyway, I would have pulled the exact same move. The hell else was he supposed to do? What would you think or do if you were Aaron Rodgers in that spot? Throw a party? Congratulate the organization? Try to get Jordan Love's number to welcome him? Seriously, how was he supposed to react? They had just gotten blown out, but played in the conference championship game. They were just in the conference championship game, so they were still that close. You know Aaron was thinking, all right, let's draft somebody who can help us immediately. Let's get back to the Super Bowl. Instead, they drafted his replacement. 
And they moved up to get his replacement. And they didn't tell him. Of course he was pissed. Who wouldn't be? And then when the Packers finally did call him, they wanted to put it all on Goody, not on Matt LaFleur. That way Rodgers wouldn't hate his coach and could maintain a positive working relationship with LaFleur. And while Rodgers did the professional thing and he did handle his business, he's no idiot. He knows the coach signed off on that move as well. He knows there's no way that they draft the quarterback of the future and the guy to replace their Hall of Fame quarterback if the coach is not in favor of it as well. There's no way LaFleur didn't know about that. To which Rogers said in this piece, quote, and I said, I don't care, honestly. Like, they made the pick. They all signed off on it, end of quote. In other words, how stupid do I look to you? Do you really expect me to believe that a decision that important was made in a vacuum without the head coach's input? Do you think I'm a moron? It just couldn't be any more clear that it was never going to end well after all of that went down, especially when the following offseason, Rodgers reportedly did this. According to a source associated with the team who was granted anonymity to candidly discuss the sensitive dynamics between the front office and the star quarterback early in the 2021 offseason, Dunn, Rodgers' agent, called Packers president Mark Murphy with a request, fire Gutenkunst or trade Rodgers. Murphy did neither. Months later, News broke that Rodgers wanted out of Green Bay, but the Packers held firm. Quote, end of quote. So upon seeing that this morning, Packer fan was again all juiced up. All juiced up that the franchise did not fire Goody and did not acquiesce to the prima donna, Rodgers. You know, because Goody is so much more important to that franchise than their best player ever was. I mean, hell. How is it that there's no street named after Goody yet? When do they unveil Goody Way? You know, they could put it right adjacent to the intersection of Goody Boulevard and Goody Drive. Right around Goody Circle. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. I mean, it couldn't be any more clear what happened here. The Packers moved on from Aaron Rodgers. And they actually really did it during the 2020 draft. It's just that he didn't go. He didn't leave. They moved on from him, but he didn't go. But they really did do it the day they picked Jordan Love. The day they moved up to take Jordan Love. The day that they moved up and didn't tell Rodgers about their plan. And then things just got gradually more toxic, more uncomfortable, more, what's the word I'm looking for? Awkward. Awkward. And they just couldn't sustain it. Not ultimately. Things got out of alignment. The train jumped off the rails. The breakup was inevitable. It was never going to end well. But even all that said, it could have been so much uglier. It still could be so much uglier. 
Like, Aaron didn't trash the organization or the town or the fans or his teammates or anything like that. In fact, after it went down, he played some of his best ball of his entire Hall of Fame career, winning back-to-back MVPs. He didn't shut down. Like, Packer fans, to me, this is so key. Had they done him like that, and had he turned into a little bitch, and then taken his ball and went home, or shut down, or let it get in his head, or impact his play negatively, then we'd have a conversation. But none of that happened. It made him even better. He didn't go scorched earth on anyone. He pretty much is just saying, I don't like Goody. I don't like the guy. The guy played some of the best ball that a quarterback has ever played. Packer fan, if you want to come up in here and say, hey, Rome, the guy couldn't have handled it any worse. He went right into the tank. No, he didn't. He played some of the best ball in the history of the NFL. He played incredibly after it all went down. All he's really saying is, I don't like Goody, which again is no giant surprise. Not hard to figure out why he doesn't like Goody. So my question is, why is this still an issue? Both sides got what they wanted. It was time. The Packers got some decent compensation out of this mess. Jordan Love got some quality time behind Aaron. They need to find out what they have in Jordan Love. Aaron needed to move on. They all win. They all got what they wanted. Yeah, and as far as Jordan Love goes, he got quality time behind Aaron, just like Aaron got some quality time behind Brett. But unlike Brett or even Big Ben, Aaron is not rooting against the guy who followed him. Aaron's got nothing against the next guy. He likes the next guy. Aaron said, quote, Love gets a chance to blaze his own trails, be his own man, and lead in the way he best sees fit. Take the good things he learned from me, things he would do differently, do them differently. That's what I did when I took over. He went on, quote, obviously the team felt good with moving forward with him as the starter, and that's how the team felt in 2008 with me after I showed no seven that I could get the job done. And history just repeated itself in that sense. End of quote. You know, none of that Big Ben, hey man, I hope tiny hands sucks. None of that. So there you go, Packer fan. It's all good. I know you're all bent all over again this morning, but there's nothing to be bent about. Things went sideways with your best player ever. It's unfortunate. Hopefully, maybe somehow, some way in five years, 10 years, a thousand years, they can all get on the same page once again, but it happened. And honestly, it happened a long time ago. It didn't happen just this offseason. Everybody got what they wanted. So can we please just move on? And don't tell me it's Aaron keeping this thing going. Again, it was the athletic that called him. He didn't, like, cryptically release something. He didn't go on McAfee's show and then let loose. They called him. They wanted him. They found him. A Packers beat writer for The Athletic found him. Why do you think they kept it going? Because Packer fan is keeping it going. This isn't Aaron. He's good. He's happy. And I know that's one of the reasons why you're so pissed. Because he's happy. Listen, listen. 
I'm not even saying Packer fan. And believe me, I will be in Wisconsin within a month. I love you. I love Wisconsin. I'm not saying you have to root for Aaron. I'm not even saying you have to like Aaron. I'm not even saying that it's easy to hear Aaron fantasizing about the Jets winning the Super Bowl. Listen, I get it. I get it. But at some point, you got to move on. You got to move on. Like, walk away. Don't look back. Aaron has moved on. So has everybody else. No need to keep this going. No need to keep hating on the guy. He answered a few questions. He told his side of the story. We should be done now. I know everybody always wants the last word, but we should be done now. Move on. You've got your guy. You got rid of the guy you were sick of. Let it go. You're never, ever, ever getting back together. You're never, ever, ever getting back together. And in terms of Taylor Swift, I'm not saying that Taylor Swift is for everybody. I'm not a fan, but I do appreciate the talent. I know you clones, though. You wanted to put her in the rat family back in the day. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I know everybody listening is a fan of that. Rat, I mean, two T's. I know what you'll do. You'll take this Aaron Rodgers, Taylor Swift take, and you'll try to twist it into a bad QB listening to bad music. Whatever. Hate to break it to you. A lot of your favorite athletes are Swifties. A lot of your favorite athletes like Taylor Swift. Jimmy Butler does. Hell, Greg Olson came on this show and talked about going to a Taylor Swift concert. That concert was incredible. I would go back in a minute. Tell me about it. What what makes a Taylor Swift show different, and why was that particular show incredible? Man, it's like a, it's like something I've never seen before. You know, I've been to a lot of concerts. It's like a damn, it's like a spectacle. It's a it's a production. There's lights and dance. It's it, it it's hard to explain. I, I, that night, who was her special guest? Nobody. We got gypped. <laughs> Come on, really? We, we I know. No, it's so true. We we all kind of joked. You know, you look around and. She had the World Cup soccer team. She had all sorts of guys. and You should have just run up on stage. I should have. If I wouldn't known, I would have probably done that. <laughs> Greg, I don't listen. know how that would have went over, though. This dude was in awe. Like, he was in awe. And if you want to go way back, Aaron did come on my Showtime show in 2014. We talked about him being in the tabloids with Taylor Swift. There was a report that you went bowling with Taylor Swift. This offseason. To me, that sounds pretty hot. How was that? <laughs> it, it was, there were a lot of people in the group. But uh, the low light for me that night was uh, somebody had spilled a drink on the lane, on the run up to the lane, which I didn't see and actually ended up on my butt. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun when you're not in situations where you get to hang out with, uh, with, uh, some people who are uh, very talented in their industry. She is that. She is that. And she's a serial dater. We feeling any kind of vibe like, <laughs> like she wants a piece? We feeling that vibe at all? I wasn't feeling that vibe. 
How you like me now? Just me going all 60 minutes with the gossip. Hard, hard-hitting personal questions. Hey, yo, man, she want a piece? She want some of that? That's me. I should host a gossip show. My point is, I was talking about that connection a long time ago. Where have you all been? Packer fan, Packer fan, just shake it off. Shake it off. Packer fan, shake it off. Can we be done with this now? We've heard both sides of this story. We've heard Goody. We've heard Aaron. Packer fan, shake it off. Hey, Packer fan, do me a favor. Stop causing trouble. No, I'm done. I think. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Skip Schumacher is my guest. Skip, could not be more pumped to have you back on. How you living, dude? And how is the managerial life treating you, Skip? Oh, man, I'm so happy to be back on with you, Jim. So thanks for having me back. Um, it's been good. It was hard at the beginning, still hard now, but a, you know, a lot to learn. I didn't know anybody in the organization from top to bottom when I first got the job. So building those relationships was the main goal and focus. Uh, but now kind of in the you know, first third of the season, you know, starting to get in a rhythm, and it's getting a lot better. All right, so I want to talk to you about all that because I think that's really interesting, Skip. But you did take over a team that won 69 games last year. A third of the way through, you are over 500, and you're doing it despite that the fact you've had some guys banged up, some important guys banged up. Like, Skip, I understand there's so much baseball left to be played, but you guys, are you off to a hot start, or is this enough of a sample size where you can say, you know what, this is who we are, and we're only going to get better? Yeah, I think our depth has been tested, that's for sure. And Kim and her group, our GM, did a really nice job of getting some guys just in case some guys went down. And our depth has been tested earlier than we liked, with Jazz uh, being the number one guy kind of going down early and A.J. Puck, our closer. Um, so, but we stayed afloat, which has been a really good sign of you know, a good team and a good organization that if you can stay afloat while your superstars are down um, and then get them healthy, then you know, we're going to be okay. But um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's that, that part has been really good. As far as you know, winning early on, I think that was important. The, you know, with the new schedule and playing so many different teams and so many really good teams early on, especially in the AL, um, you know, I think it was important that these guys know that they can win and play with anybody. And especially as you know, honestly, a rookie manager um, and a, um, a new staff, it was important for us to get off to a hot start. All right, so we're talking about a rookie manager. I mean, Skip, you. You're the same great dude that you've always been, but I'm curious, how differently do the players treat you as a manager compared to the way they treated you? That's a different group, but as the way they treated you when you were a bench coach, how different How different is it in that regard? It's funny. The bench coach is everyone's best friend. You know, they go to the bench coach for any certain playing in-game situation, playing time, 
the bench coach has the pulse of the clubhouse and really covers the manager's blind spots. That's the, that's the role of the bench coach. The manager, you know, as much as they say, you know, the open door policy, there's, it's intimidating for players to come in for whatever reason. And you try to do your best to make it an open door policy, but it's, that's why it's so important to have that bench coach that you can trust and that has the same messaging. I'm lucky to have one in Luis Urieta, but I think the, the difference is that everybody used to come to me and, maybe in St. Louis and San Diego. And, uh, and I think they're, they go to now my bench coach a little bit more, which is okay. But I think, again, it's just building those relationships and players just want to know where they are and where they stand. And I think that's what I've learned the most. Skip Schumacher joining us. You know, it seems to me, Skip, you play the game at a really high level. You understand this. That's exactly what every athlete wants. All they want is for the coach or the manager or the leader of the group to shoot them straight, right? Just look them in the eye. They can handle bad news, but shoot them straight. That's never going to change, I don't think. But so many other things have changed. For instance, you're now responsible for dealing with not just the players, but the analytics group, the front office, and the players. So how would you describe the job of a modern manager? Like, does calling it manager, does that still do it justice? Or is there a better description or a better title for what that job requires now? Well, you're right. It's communication and alignment. You can't draw a line in the sand with the analytics and then your staff in front office. It, it just won't work. You have to blend it. You have to build those relationships. And you have to be on the same page as far as, you know, you can have disagreements in, you know, the pregame meetings and that type of stuff or postgame meetings. But when you leave that meeting, you're on the same page. Um, and, and listen, I didn't hire any yes men. I'm not a yes man. Um, and I, wanted, I want people's opinions because I don't have all the answers. I have no ego in this thing. So I want everybody's ideas. But at the end of the day, this needs to be – we have to be aligned in, in what we think is right, some non-negotiables and what we think is important, and then move on from there. Skip Schumacher is joining us. Skip, I thought you said something awesome recently, and especially since you're in the area, you would know this, but with the heat back in the NBA Finals and getting ready to take on the Nuggets, you recently told reporters that you had been studying Eric Spolstra for quite some time. You called him, and I quote, the best coach in sports – it's really high praise. I know you would not throw that around lightly. What in your mind makes him better than anybody else? Yeah, I know. That was a, uh, a strong praise, and, and I, I back it up because of you know how he got there. There was no easy road. There's no magic pill to get this thing right. And um, what he's built there, a strong foundation, their scouting department, they know exactly what uh, player they want to acquire, and um, he gets the most out of every single player he's had. And I think that's the sign of the, you know, a really good coach or a really good manager um, is are you getting the best version out of that player? And he checks every single box. And so I've, I've read some stuff on, on, from Jimmy Butler to LeBron James, to Dwayne Wade, and um, it's very much the same messaging. Um, you know, he pushes and he pushes and he pushes and pushes until he gets the best version out of him. And, um, and you know, listen, this is not a knock on any NFL MLB coach or other NBA, NHL coaches. But uh, I feel like, you know, he's at the top of the food chain and, and the proof is in the pudding. I think this is the sixth NBA Finals. Um, so it, it shows what he's all about. Hey, Skip, listen, that's no hot take. I think that's absolutely defensible. I don't disagree with you at all. I don't think you're wrong at all when you say that. Here's my question. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? Is it hard to replicate? I mean, do others try and are unable to do so? Does he have some sort of secret sauce that we don't know about? Why wouldn't everybody try to replicate or duplicate that type of approach? Well, I think some, some do, right? I mean, I was in the St. Louis Cardinal organization. They had 15 straight winning seasons. 
They know what winning looks like. The Miami Heat and Spolstra know what winning looks like. So they identify and create a winning, sustainable culture. Um, that's not easy to do. They have to make some hard decisions, and um, they, maybe they've had to draw some lines in the sand as well on you know when they have to you know punt and uh, you know move on from some guys that might be super talented, but they didn't fit their culture. I know the St. Louis Cardinals have done that in my experience there, and there's a winning why they could, there's a reason why they continue to win, and um, I see a lot of similarities uh, with with the, in both organizations. The Cardinal way. Skip Schumacher is joining us. Skip, you talked about having superstars last year's AL batting champ. I mean, this guy is absolutely unbelievable. Luis Arise, certainly, I mean, it seems like this guy barrels everything up. What's it like coming to the yard knowing you can pencil him in the lineup every single day? Well, I've taken some heat, and I've said this before, but he's kind of the modern-day Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs kind of mold. And you don't hear a lot of uh, – he doesn't get a lot of notoriety because he doesn't hit home run after home run, and I know that's what the fan likes to see, but he's the guy that just kind of now without the shift kind of looks at you know, where the defense is, is positioning them, and he hits the hole. He's on the left side or the right side. You're right. He barrels everything. He does not punch out. He hits lefties, righties, below, spin. It doesn't matter. Um, nobody wants to see him. Guys on second and third and two outs, right? Like that's the guy that you want up because he's going to put it in play and, and put it in play hard. What no one talks about is his leadership and really his defensive versatility. He played a lot of first base last year. We had to move him over to second base this year, and he's been – you know, out above average, just as good as anybody. So um, a huge acquisition. We needed to find offense, and Kim and her group did a really nice job of acquiring him. Skip, speaking of versatility, especially defensively, obviously you know all about the Padres. You know about that team. You know about that organization. You know about the players specifically. What about Fernando Tatis? How does he look to you this year? And then what do you think when you see him in right field? Yeah, he's a freak. Uh, he was the most talented player that I've ever seen uh, in that in that uh, organization. I was over there um, as a 17-year-old. We knew he was going to be a star. I think he's going to be a superstar, like what the 1%. I'd be lying to you if I said I did, um, but I knew he was going to be a, a major leaguer for a long time. Listen, he had some some stuff that he went through last year, surgeries, you know, off-field off stuff, the suspension, and – the way he's going about it to me, Romy, is, is as pro as you can go about it. He's engaging with the fans. Um, he has a smile on his face. He's a, is a positive kid, and I'll always be a fan of his. He made a mistake, um, and in he paid he paid the price, a deep price for it. But I think you know he's a young kid, and he's got a long career left, and he looks exactly like he did when he um, you know was a superstar back in 2020, 2021. And um, I'm really happy for him and the way he's gone about it. I don't he's, – he's throwing 100-mile-an-hour throws from right field. He's still ultra-talented. I still think he can play short, play center. Um, you know, they have a, a superstar talent over there, and I'm really happy for how he responded. That, that really is amazing. I mean, nobody ever doubted this talent. But to see them move him around like that and him hosing guys from right field really is something to see. Skip Schumacher is joining us. Skip, what about Sandy Alcantara? Not off to the start that he would hope for, but knowing Sandy – I don't know Sandy like I know Sandy, but knowing Sandy, nobody's more aggravated by that than he is. Why do you think he's not quite where he wants to be yet? Yeah, he's pretty pissed off. There's nobody more frustrated than Sandy in his start, and he'll tell you that. Um, this guy works as hard as anyone. I've been a, around the Wainwrights, the Kershaws, the Chris Carpenters, and he is that guy in between starts. Um, he's just relentless in his preparation. I do think, and he might, he's, I don't know if he'll tell you this, honestly, but I do think the WBC messed up a lot of guys and not just him. Um, his preparation, the start of the season, 
him ramping up a little bit earlier. And as great as that WBC was, and I came to a couple of the games, it was electric atmosphere, really good for the game. Um, I do think it, it hurt some guys' preparation early in the season. And so I do think you'll see a second-half rebound, and um, you know, there's still two-thirds of the season left. So I, I'm, I'll bet on Sandy all day long. So, Skip, really quickly, what do you do with that? I think you make a great point. I mean, it was electric. It was a great thing for the sport. But if star players are coming back to their teams and it jacks with their preparation and they're not quite right, teams might not be quite so inclined to have guys go there, even if it's good for the sport. So where does that tournament belong? What do you do with it? Maybe push it back, um, you know, a little bit deeper into spring. I'm not – you know, it was just a different – it's different when guy, when teams or players are in playoffs, too. It's a long year. Sandy threw over 220 innings. Um, so there wasn't much break until he had to ramp up again. And when you're pitching for your country and 50,000 people at Lone Depot Park, you're not just going to cruise, right? You're going for it. As much as they say they're going to throttle back a little bit, that's just not the case. You know how much it means to them. And um, so I don't have like that perfect answer because I do believe it just builds the game. It builds the brand. It's necessary. People love it. The players love it. But maybe just a little bit right before maybe the season starts or something. Um, I don't have a great answer for you, but I just know it does affect a lot of the, the pitchers and the hitters, quite honestly. Hey, Skip, last thought, I think that you're doing an amazing job. I could not be more pleased and more proud of you as a gaucho with the way you're handling yourself. This is not an easy thing. And I think, I'm not saying it's an easy thing, and I'm not saying that you're making it look like an easy thing, but I think you're handling yourself and your team beautifully. You have so much on your plate. That said, I just want to leave that right there. How about our gauchos, man? Like, are we, did we get screwed or jammed or not? Why did we not get the respect that we deserve and that checks deserved and that the mighty gauchos themselves deserved come tournament time? First of all, I appreciate the praise, and you know how much of a fan I am of yours. And driving to the field every day, I listen to your show in the jungle, and you guys are you're just the best. I lo- I've loved you for years, so I appreciate that. That means a lot. But I think the West Coast got screwed, honestly. Like, UCI should be in. UC Santa Barbara should be in, SC should be in, but you're absolutely right. UC Santa Barbara, they got the pitching. They got the check it is, you know, one of the best coaches in the nation. I, I just don't understand how the, it's just a West Coast bias. In a, it's, even the regionals where they're hosting, there's nothing except for, I think, Stanford on the West Coast. So it's pretty disappointing that a lot of these West Coast teams didn't get in. Uh, my buddy at Orloff at UCI, same conference as UCSB, they should have gotten in for sure. Um, so, yeah, it, it was tough to, to see when the uh, when it all came out, and they got to figure that thing out. No, I appreciate that. You're so right, Skip. And I live I, – I, I'm a gaucho through and through, but I love the UCI program too. I really do because, you know, our kids went to university high school. They go to UCI games. UCI literally is across the street from where I live. I think they got jammed up as well. Skip? Could not appreciate you more, man. You spent so much time with us again today. Great to have you on the show. I am proud of you, and it's always good to talk to you, Skip. Thank you so much means a lot. Thank you so much. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Inside of a month until smack-off number 29. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. 
hardly wait. Can't wait. I can't wait. Can't wait. Hardly wait. This dude butchered one of the greatest replacement songs ever. The smack off. The smack off. And the legends. Westerbrook's gotta want to give that guy the hands. I can't wait. Anyway, I can't wait. But I do have an issue. And not just with this song. The issue I have is I've not given away a golden ticket in over a week. I've only given one away so far in the month of May. And it went to John in New York. Y'all know I love John. Hey, John. No offense to John. But come on, people. Step yo games up. Step your game up. I have a gigantic stack of golden tickets right under my desk. I really want to give them away. I want nothing more than to make it rain golden tickets all over my studio here in Cali. But they're not free. You need to call. You need to bring me something that's going to make it better. Anything that makes it better. Do just one thing, one time, and you'll already be on your way to a golden ticket if it makes it better. In fact, do a good enough job on that first call, and you can rip a ticket on that first call. I know it sounds impossible, but it has happened before. It can happen again. I think it will happen again. Anything is possible. But only if you get up in here and you shoot your shot. Meanwhile, for the callers already in the smack-off field, we continue to player profile them. We have another one today. Today, we hit a dude who has been calling the jungle for over a quarter of a century. A dude who hit the air on the big day for the first time back in 1997. Smack off number three. Today, we hit my dude, Gino, in San Antonio. If you know this show at all, odds are pretty good. You know Gino pretty well by now. Because Gino is a pretty prolific caller, and he has been for a long time. He is, for example, the established king of the pre- and post-smack-off calls, the day before and the day after. Gino is always there. I mean, that's great. It'd be better if he was always there the day of, but at least it's something, right? The day of can be a different story. Now, Gino has participated in six smack-offs. But he has not hit the air in the main event in over a decade. That is so hard to believe. He's hit the podium twice. But he hasn't even done that in over two decades, which is so hard to believe. Because to me, he still has all the game he always had. Despite that fact, it does not mean that there have not been Geno highlights over the past two decades. And I'm about to prove that because you're about to hear some. If Gino in San Antonio is known for anything around here, it's for his deep-seated hatred for the great city of Detroit. Again, I want to be very clear on that. His hatred, not my hatred, of Detroit. I love the D. Gino first made his hatred Loud and clear when he ripped the hell out of Motown for an entire week. Straight. Non-stop. Every day back in 2011. All right, look, Detroit. You got to know your limitations. You got to know what you're good at. If we were talking about bankrupting the jungle, you'd have me. But this ain't checkers. This is chess. Someday, 
when your former daughter-in-law drops off your grandkids from her monthly weekend visit, you'll be able to tell them about this. They'll come into the tenement building, their fat little faces all sooty and bruised, and they'll say, Grandpa, Mommy's parole officer told me the Lions never really won four games in the season. Is that true? And after you take a long pull off the oxygen tank, you'll be able to look them in the face and say, shut your hole and take your Ritalin. I know you're hoping that somebody's going to rise up from the ashes of your once literate city to defend you, but I got bad news. Mitch Album, he ain't walking through that door. Once he realized that the five people he was going to meet in heaven were all wearing Red Wings jerseys, he moved to L.A. And I can't blame him because if things get any worse in your city, the president's probably going to send in Snake Plissken to rescue Calvin Johnson. Face it, the only large society of people with the same values as you are prisoners. We're like brothers now, all right, Detroit? Let's put all this hatred behind us. I think we're good, all right? And I'm glad. I'm glad we're all friends now. Now, listen, I'm going to let you guys go because I know you got to go make a payment on your clothes. All right, peace. Only in Detroit can people buy school clothes for their kids, activate their cell phone, and buy dinner at the liquor store. You know what? I want to take this phone call to just point out some things that, that we have in common. I want, to, I want to make a little peace bridge between us here. Let's take your football games with Michigan, all right, the big house. You know, I don't fly to Ann Arbor, and you guys can't afford to go to the games because you spend all your gas money on Molotov cocktails. Gino did this for an entire week. I think we really need to give this guy a pass. He lives in Michigan, and it's February. It takes 30 minutes to thaw out your car just so you can go anywhere. He did this for an entire week in 2011. So in the years since, he has from time to time broken out the same energy, but aimed it at a different target. As an example, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is a loser in life, and I don't care how many championships he wins. Pop is the one coach in this league that was ahead of the curve on player empowerment. He treats everybody, including quit, after he fled the team like a little craphead that he is, and he still treats that guy with respect. And you disrespected Pop on the way out the door. You took the money. You hid from him. I don't care how many championships you win, quit. You're a loser in life to me. You can see where you want this guy to show up on the day of, right? So, more recently, Gino opened up a brand new rivalry with a new city, San Francisco. Because why not take on the entire Bay Area as well? Tired of having windows in your car in one piece? San Francisco. Can't stand the bottom of your shoes not coated in human feces? San Francisco. Do you miss the feeling of dirty needles stuck to your shoe? Do you feel like you're not paying enough taxes? San Francisco is your answer. Are you tired of feeling the sun on your face and long for a marine mass so constant that it has its own Instagram account? Carl the Fog, San Francisco. Are you curious what invisible enemies are in the area and wonder what sort of obscenities can be strung together to describe you? San Francisco and its diverse, ubiquitous, homeless population will erase that question from your mind. Have you ever wondered what work-life balance is like if you take all of the life out of it and it's only work with no room for actual life that doesn't consist of dog poop and protecting your possessions? Do you want to live in a city that has been considered charming for most of its existence but now seems like they could film future sequels to Blade Runner there? Well, ah! That's not a good call. No. I mean, Gino... You don't like that I don't like I should have run you five minutes ago. No, I shouldn't have. In fact, I want to know why we ran him. Like, when dude gets rolling downhill like that, it feels like he could go forever. Right through the end zone, 
right through the tunnel, right into the city, and into the next state. Like, it's wild. When Gino lets that rage run like that, and the hate take over, this dude can run some quality smack. If he could find a way to harness that, that same energy, and then let it rip on the entire smack-off field with the same energy on the big day, there's no doubt he still can compete for a strap. He has that extra gear. He just hasn't flashed it in the main event in a long time. I hope that this is the year that changes. This is in large part why I'm doing the profile. But then again, in large part, I've done the profile before in the hopes that I could get that guy to show up on that day and perform like that. Gino can also be pretty funny when he wants to be. Although I don't think he was actually trying to be funny when he called in with this amazing and allegedly true story about calling out Scottie Pippen right to his face. He wanted us to believe. He was trying to tell us that this allegedly actually happened. I walk into my local liquor store, and who's standing in there hyping his new bottle of bourbon called, tragically, Fingers, but Scotty Pippen. I lie to you not, Scotty Pippen is doing tastings around Austin. He happens to be in the store when I walk in. There's a whole line of people getting to sign the bottle they're buying, and I it, I just, off the top of my head, without even thinking about it, I go, no Tippin' Pippen! And the whole place just record scratches and stares at me. I kind of ease over, get my bottle of Tito's, and skulk out. So, I mean, on the one hand, I've got no idea if that really happened. If he really no Tippin, Pippin, no Scotty to his face. I'm going to assume that's not true. But I hope it's true. And with Gino, man, Gino, there's just, there's that 1% chance that with Gino, maybe it did happen. And that's exactly the kind of brass set and the kind of humor and the kind of intensity that I need for Gino to bring to the smack off. Take that in-your-face, no tipping, pipping energy, and then aim it at Brad. Aim it at no Lef. Aim it at Shawnee. Aim it at Caleb. Aim it at Rick. Aim it at Detroit. Aim it at Frisco. Aim it at Kuwait. Aim it somewhere. Channel it. Show up for it. Find a target. Target, go. Target, go. Target, go. Do that. And then next year... We will have plenty to add to this Gino montage. Oh, Romy. Life is so good, my man. Buffalo, your city sucks. You're basically a poor man's Detroit without the music and automotive history. Jail, listen, you know, there's some things that you just cannot unhear. I didn't get my hands on Mike until after midnight is one of those things. Jail, read your take out loud before you go on the air and see if it still sounds good, bro. Those Canadian boys. Wow. Did I hear that you guys actually met Rich Ackerman? Wow, that is so cool. Last year, I was in a Taco Bell, and one of the Spurs ball boys walked right in. Couldn't believe it. So good for you guys. But I will not give you a review that was not in the deal. What's in it for me? All of you worthless companies, quit filling up my email box with requests for reviews. They're not coming. That just rolls out of bed and farts in a phone for three minutes wearing the same thong he's been wearing since preschool and cranks out win after win. Ah, I'm just so stupid, Rome. I got it all wrong. Do better. Smack off.
is for those souls who dare to put themselves out there on the line and risk defeat for the chance at glory. And I salute everybody that has ever called into the smack off. How about them Longhorns? How about them Cowboys? Go Spurs, go! Gino in San Antonio, six Smackoff appearances going back to 97, two top threes, three top tens, hopefully another chapter to write in his Smackoff career. I know you have the day before and the day after all cleared out, but keep your schedule clear on June 30th, G. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? We are joined by Dale Earnhardt Jr., Dale, it is great to have you back. It's been a minute or two. Always good to get caught up. Dale, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jim. It's nice to talk to you, man. Uh, things are good for us. We're excited, kind of right in the middle of our NASCAR season, uh, ready for the summer, and, and uh, just uh, things are going good. We're really happy. I'm really happy to hear that. In fact, I want to talk to you about the middle of the season, but I want to start right here. Before we talk racing, Dale, I want to talk to you about some content because you have become a content-creating machine. You founded your own production company, Hammerhead Entertainment. You co-own Dirty Mo Media. It's a digital network of podcasts and multimedia content. How much are you enjoying the creative side, the content side of the industry? I really appreciate you asking that. We are proud, proud, proud of Dirty Mo Media. And um, I started hosting a podcast many, many years ago called the Dale Jr. Download. And we just hop on there and talk current events in NASCAR. But we also talk a little bit about our personal lives, fatherhood, all of the, all the challenges that, you know, you face every day and just managing life. Um, but we um, also have a show called Actions Detrimental hosted by one of the current drivers in the circuit, Denny Hamlin, which is uh, become very popular and so we're always kind of creating all the time and I do enjoy it it is it's a great way to control your message and your narrative and if you have an, you know if you have opinions about what's going on in the sport or anything else going on in the world you are able to go on your own content and create the message that you want and um, and and you know it's, it's 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 just a lot of fun. So uh, the fans are reacting really great to it. We're having a lot of you know we're having a lot of great guests come on our show, and that's been interesting as well. I'll tell you too. Um, you'll appreciate this. I've learned so much about broadcasting and how to you know how to conduct an interview by doing the podcast and creating my own content. Of course, I've given a lot of interviews in my life, but I still wouldn't know how to perform an interview and and what 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 gets a great response, what questions get great responses. And so that's really helped me understand what really works in an interview setting to be able to, you know, interview a guest and, and, you know, and get some great responses to the questions you're trying to ask. So it's helped me a lot, gave me a lot of confidence too, as a broadcaster, I went into broadcasting with really no background, no journalism background and really, you know, the, the, the podcasting and content creation has helped me gain a lot of confidence in the booth as well. 
Dale, I appreciate that response so much. That is a great, great response. I really appreciate what you just said. It's harder than it looks. You have to work at it, and you're so right. I mean, there is a craft, and there is an art to it, and you got to work at it, and you clearly have. I mean, I appreciate that so, so much. Dale Earnhardt Jr. joining us. Now, the other thing is, too, like what you bring to it is obviously a background, and you have anecdotes and personalities and relationships. Like, there's never a shortage of storylines or personalities in the sport for you to discuss. As an example— Ross Chastain. I spoke to him, Dale, on this show recently. We discussed his having a series of incidents and him letting the hands go with Noah Gragson, to which he said recently, quote, I just need to hit less things, end of quote. Now, do you think he meant other cars or other faces? And what do you make of his overall approach? Well, I'll be honest with you, man. I've known Ross a long time. I have a few rental properties near near my own home in North Carolina, and he was he was a— he rented from me for years, and so I know Ross pretty pretty good, and I like the way Ross races. And now, if I was on the racetrack with him, I would certainly be aggravated and frustrated with his approach because more than likely you're going to end up in some sort of a fender bender or dust up with Ross at some point. But as a fan or as a broadcaster, he brings drama, energy, excitement. He creates issues, right? He's a disruptor. And so that's absolutely what you want if you're trying to sell a ticket to a race is to have a lot of guys like Ross out there uh, creating all kinds of things. And while he probably feels genuinely, you know, he's probably being genuinely honest about wanting to dial it back a notch, who knows whether that's even in his nature. It, you know, when he's really put in situations and heat of the moment, you know, uh, things happening out on the racetrack, I don't know that he can really control who he is. And so, um, and I hope he doesn't change a whole lot. Um, certainly, he's going to uh, mature. He'll 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 age and polish his craft. But that tenacity and sort of disruptor attitude is always, I think, going to be there for him and for us as as viewers. Right? Um, a lot of people don't love everything he does, but it does create storylines. And this no sport, no industry can survive without drama, storylines, excitement conversation and he certainly creates that for us hey dale i'm with you like i don't run against him so i don't have that issue i talk to him i love talking to him i like watching him and all i've ever said is i don't play favorites i just need something to talk about he gives me something to talk about so i'm with you i like him and in terms of approach i think you're right like i don't know that he can dial it back and what he's doing got him where he is right now so we'll have to wait and see let me ask you about this we're talking to dale earnhardt jr as I mentioned, NASCAR is in Illinois for Sunday's race, but they'll be back in the state in a month for something really historic. The NASCAR Chicago street race is July 2nd, and the race is going to be run through downtown Chicago. It seems like a pretty wild notion. How hyped are you for that, and what are your expectations for that race? I'm actually sitting on the race course right this minute as I'm having this phone call with you. And so... We are out here today sort of mapping the track and understanding, you know, how NBC is going to cover the, cover the race, where the cameras will be, where the, where the broadcasters will be, and understanding, you know, kind of how things might go. I, I will say this, you know, every time we do something new in NASCAR, it creates challenges. There's unforeseen circumstances that develop that, that are challenges for the drivers and usually it creates drama, pandemonium, issues, problems, right? And we love to see our drivers uncomfortable. We love to see them push to uh, uncomfortable spaces. And 
NASCAR's never ran on a street course ever in the history of the sport. There's not many things that NASCAR has never done or ever tried. This is one of the last few things that NASCAR will do for the very first time. There's only maybe one or two drivers in the field that's ever ran on a street course. And so the drivers are going to you know, be experiencing something incredibly new, but also so challenging and uncomfortable and unusual, uh, unorthodox, if you will. So I'm tuning in. You know, if I'm a fan, I'm tuning in because I'm going to see something for the first time. But also, um, you know, you're going to watch these drivers really adapt and learn on the fly as the race is happening, how to get around this racetrack, how to be successful at this style of racing. I was going to say, Dale, like, for instance, if you've never done it before, and most have never done it before, that's why I said it's such a wild notion. How do you prepare and how big of an adjustment will that be for all the drivers? Well, they'll have simulation, uh, which is actually very helpful these days. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, simulators weren't a big factor, weren't a useful tool in motorsports, at least in NASCAR. F1 brought simulation in uh, over a decade ago or two decades ago. Now it's something NASCAR embraces. So all of these drivers, they get very limited real-time practice on the racetrack. There'll be 50 minutes, maybe an hour, some qualifying. But other than that, that is it before the race begins. So if I'm a race car driver, I am spending hours, hours of my day, all week long, if not sooner, preparing for this race, driving laps on the simulator. And there's multiple simulators. The manufacturers themselves, Toyota, Chevrolet, Ford, they all have their very own simulator that the drivers all share. And so there'll be a lot of those guys clamoring for hours and minutes in the simulator just to sort of learn the track. And I will tell you, man, it really helps a lot. When you get out on the track for the real, you know, for the real thing, you get this sort of sense of deja vu. I've been here before. All right, I know what gear I need to be in for this corner. I know what gear I need to be in for this corner. I know when I need to shift. And, and all of those things come so much quicker to you when you have a very brief moment to practice in real-world experiences. So having, having that understanding of where, where to shift, what gears to use, um, and the apexes and, and speeds of the corners, all these corners are so uniquely different. The track looks very similar. You have a lot of 90-degree turns, but they're all different paces, different speeds. Um, being able to get in the simulator and understand all that will help you a tremendous amount. Can't wait to see it. Dale Earnhardt Jr., my guest. So, Dale, one last thought. You mentioned F1. Like, any talk of a street course immediately brings F1 racing to mind. The circuit has had a major resurgence in the U.S. recently. In fact, I see my wife the other night, Dale, getting ready to go out, and she's watching the show. She loves F1. And, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, she did have a, a, an interest in it prior to that. But can the success of F1 also be a positive for NASCAR? For instance, if it gets casual fans to watch more racing – could that lead to a bigger potential audience for NASCAR as well? Is it a win-win? I think so. I think so. I don't think that. <clears throat> I don't think that motorsport, motorsports, globally, and nationally, cannot survive competing against itself. And so I think you know, it, motorsports in in general, or you know, most motorsports diehard fans are car enthusiasts. And they traditionally may like one or more. They might like multiple forms of auto racing, not just one specific type. And so, like IndyCar fans may watch NASCAR racing. NASCAR fans also may watch IndyCar racing. So when both are successful, they both lift each other up. Other up. So I, I don't look at the success that F1 is having currently as a negative to NASCAR or any other form of motorsports. I think, if anything, it shines a little bit of light on everybody. And so, 
you know, somebody's got to be number one. You know, NASCAR, in my eyes, at times is number one. But, you know, you can't be number one forever. But I think all of the forms of motorsports in one way or another do sort of assist each other, whether they even know it or not, in terms of viewership and attention. So when one's doing really well, you certainly can see the impact it has on others. So one quick follow, Dale, and I'll let you go. At this point in your life, at this point in your life, do you have any desire to get inside of an F1 rig? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's always going to be curiosities about that, what that might feel like or drive like. Drive like. I would love to know what a Formula One car feels like, what an Indy car feels like going around Indianapolis at full speed. I want to know what driving a you know, NASCAR stock car is like around the Chicago street course. I'm always going to be curious about those things. The realistic opportunities to be able to actually go do that are very, very little if non-existent. But, um, you know, as a racer, I think you're always going to wonder and try to find ways to get as close to that as possible. And um, and sometimes you can live that reality out. Who knows? I might be able to, you know, test the car here or there in a certain closed course circuit uh, to be able to truly understand what the drivers today are under- are dealing with. I love hearing that. He is a member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And again, this weekend, NASCAR is in Madison, Illinois for Sunday's Enjoy Illinois 300. That's 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And then they'll hit the streets not long thereafter. Dale, really appreciate you. Appreciate the relationship we have. And it's great to have you back on the show, Dale. Thanks so much. Always good to talk to you, Jim. We'll try not to make it so long this next time. And y'all take care, bud. New York City, Eddie, what's going on? Jimmy Rome, what's up, baby boy? I can't believe I'm on the line with you. I didn't even want to pull my celebrity card. I'm actually a hip-hop icon, a.k.a. ADOR, and the Renegade Master. But I just wanted to talk to you about... Ah, that's not a good call. No. Eddie! You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Eddie, my man. Chris in San Diego. Good to have you, Chris. How are you? Hey, Jim, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on the show, man. Uh, I, just wanted, I know it's been a couple of years now, but when I was 14 years old, uh, after the Los Alamitos Derby and sh- shared belief ended up winning that race, you gave my father and me a hug uh, outside the winner's circle. And it's one of those memories I share with my father to this day. And the day he passed away when I was 15 years old was one of the saddest days of my life. He's one of my favorite racehorses of all time. I want to update what's going on with jungle racing. Um, you know, you're a great ambassador for the sport, and I will always love thoroughbred racing. So I just wanted to update about the stables. Good night now!